discussions in reference to, you know, God marrying Israel and then ultimately God divorcing Israel and then remarrying Israel. Well, you know, as I was pondering this week, because we're looking at Exodus 13, starting in chapter 13 through 34, really looking at, you know, in order for one to get divorced, you've got to get married first. And so how did this marriage take place? And what does that really mean? I was a missionary actively in Uganda for uh, seven years before COVID hit. And in that, I had the opportunity to be able to see and to get a glimpse of what they call their traditional ceremonies, you know, weddings, uh, the them coming together, bringing the elders, trying to decide whether this is a good fit. You know, the father choosing in some cases. Now in the Western world, oftentimes we will frown on these things because we say, oh no, that's antiquated. But if we can get a glimpse of that, and I hope as we're going through, we're gonna be able to talk to these things. And I hope that it'll give us a different perspective in understanding that truly the father had been waiting on his bride. See, God didn't just decide when he brought them out of Egypt that he was going to make Israel his bride. I will tell you that he knew that from the very beginning and even in Genesis, because why? He knew Adam and Eve would eat the fruit before they ate it. He is the God that knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So when he created them in the garden and he made them male and female, that was an example of, uh, you know, a marriage. It was God was sanctifying that marriage. But who are they to be joined with? They were to be joined with God. Amen. So a physical demonstration of God and his people, God and the church, God and his bride. My point is this, marriage is sacred unto God. It has been, it will continue to be. It is an example of Jesus Christ and his bride. But again, it was before then. It was God and it was at the very, very beginning. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I believe that God will allow us to see that. And really what we're going to see unfolding is God, when he spoke to Abraham, Abram at the time in Genesis chapter 12, and he foretold that his descendants would go into captivity, into a nation, and he would bring them out after 400 years. God was already de declaring that his bride, he would come, bring her out of captivity, bring her unto himself, amen. And from that bride, there would be others that would join and it would be all a part of his redemption, which is restoration and reconciliation plan. So as we again look through this, I want you to think in terms of God coming in and capturing or bringing out his bride. Can we go past 
our teachings that we got when we were in Sunday school or children's church and really begin to see and experience the very heart of God. Again, in Uganda, I was amazed. And I had the privilege of attending many, many weddings. And again, it would start out with the traditional wedding. But before then, the father of the groom and the father of the bride would begin to have discussions. And they would talk about the wedding price. Well, God is showing us the wedding price that he paid for his bride. And after they would discuss, then they would bring in the elders or they would bring in the senior members of the family and they would continue to talk and have dialogue and lay all these things out until finally the traditional wedding takes place. But the traditional wedding is not the end. Then they have another wedding, which is in the actual church or the actual saint. Sanctuary. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal and unfold all of this to you and I so that we can understand that as we're waiting for Christ to return, we just like them are truly his bride in waiting, his bride in waiting. So tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus chapter 13 through 34. Believers in Jesus are the bride of Christ, and we wait with great anticipation for the day when we will be united with our bridegroom. Until then, we remain faithful to him and saved with all the redeemed of the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, Revelation 22 and 10. But just like with the Israelites, again, God had been waiting 400 years when he appoints Moses to go and get his bride. But we understand by the time that we get to chapter 13, 430 years have gone by. God is patiently waiting for them. But what is going on? Before he could bring them out, there was spiritual warfare, not just physical warfare. I hope that you know that every one of the plagues that God brought, God was dealing with one of the gods that was over the land that they had bowed down and they had worshiped to. I want you to understand that God never created any people in humanity to worship anyone other than himself. See, we were all made, regardless of our ethnicity, our gender, we were made for one reason and one reason only, to carry the glory of God, his love, and to live and function according to the word of God. Spiritual warfare is alive and well, and it's real. Amen. See, they had graven images, and they exist even today. These are outside a art history museum in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm not going to spend much time talking about it. So as you look, if you have questions later, we can address it. Oftentimes, we'll say it's nice art, it's sculptures, all of those things. But I hope by the time we finish, you'll understand that it's even more than that. This is a statue that is on the other side in Manhattan. If you see the little green figure that I'm circling, that's actually a Statue of Liberty. They were created so this statue could look at the Statue of Liberty. And in doing so, they could see I 
to I and oversee the land who comes in and who comes out. Again, I hope that you will understand it's more than just statues, it's more. In fact, the Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Keep that in mind. God understands that he has dealt with the other gods, but there's still another God that is still existing in the hearts of the Egyptians. So in chapter 14, one through four, God has set them up for a battle. Amen. Give you an opportunity for you to read that, but understand that they were going in one direction. God turned them around and said, you need to go to five hot hithroth which means the mouth of freedom. And, and it is between Migdal, the sea, and it is opposite to Baal Zephon. Amen. Baal Zephon is not just a idol. It's not just a, uh, again, something that was made out of silver and gold, or maybe even out of marble. It's more than that. And they were camped there like God told them to, but here's what we need to understand. Again, uh, where God told them it was the mouth of freedom. Isn't that interesting? That he would send them to the place, to the mouth of freedom. Why? Because God knew that the Egyptians had one more God that they believed was stronger than he was. And God was trying to demonstrate, not just to his bride and not just to the Egyptians, but also to the the heavenly round of above as well. Here's what you need to understand. This battle and the spiritual warfare began in the heavenly realm first. Lucifer was able to convince one third of God's angels to follow after him. Now, two thirds are still remaining, but if one third could be persuaded don't you think the possibility exists? The other two. So God is, again, demonstrating that he is God and he is God alone. This is the final showdown. It's the final showdown between the Lord and the gods of Egypt. God wants to settle this thing first and foremost. It is the reason why he sent them in that direction. It is exactly why he is the one that stirred up Pharaoh and his army to bring 600 chariots, to bring fighting forces, all of those things, because they were convinced. They were like, whoa, not just are they confused and running around, but we have a God there, the God that's over the north, the God that's over the Red Sea. Our God is surely going to fight for us now. But Again, because God is determined that he is going to show, and he's still doing the same thing now to demonstrate to everyone that he is God and he is God alone. And as the Egyptians decide that they're going to follow behind uh, Moses and the Israelites because God told them what to do. He says, look, stretch out your rod. God caused the, the wind to come to blow so they could be dry. They walked over 
Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen all decided to follow. And as they were following, then God demonstrated, I know you thought you had a final God that was greater than me, but no one is greater than me. He caused the chariots to begin to fall off. So much so that they, they proclaim, let's get out of here, the Egyptian jail. Jehovah is fighting for them and against us. Amen. And it's interesting, even though they said that they continued to follow, Moses once again stretches out his hand over the sea and that very water that God had called to be walls on the side so that his people, his bride, remember his bride, he's taking and bringing his bride to himself, his bride now can walk over in safety. Amen. He demonstrates again that he is the Lord. In chapter 15, we see he's in the Lord. They begin to sing, make these declarations, these proclamations. One of them is that the Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. He is my father's God and I will exalt him. God was demonstrating again, not just to the Egyptians, not just to the world, but he was also uh, demonstrating to his bride that he is the Lord, that he is great. Amen. And he also wanted the Egyptians to know that he was Lord because of his compassion and his great mercy, that in seeing this, perhaps they too would be saved. As we continue on, and again, we see that Moses and Aaron, they call a meeting with all of the people. Why? Because as Krista said earlier, they are, hey, they've left where they were declaring that he is the Lord. They end up in another place. And in doing so, they don't have any food. They're hungry. All of these things, they began to complain. Here's what I want you to know. God knew all of that. He didn't take them somewhere where he had no idea what the environment and the circumstances were, but he was trying to demonstrate to them that I will provide for your every need. Amen. See, that's he's a good husband and a good husband. He knew their needs and he was prepared to provide them so that they could also understand the gods that they had been serving for 400 years with the Egyptians thinking that's where their source was, that's what their provision was, it absolutely not, it was God. Then in 17, he is the rock, the living water. Remember, they don't have any, the water is bitter, they cannot drink it. So what does God tell? He tells Moses, take the elders again, take the elders and lead the people out to Mount up. He said, I'll meet you there. Then strike, strike, strike the rock, amen, with the rod. And he does so. And it is, again, God showing him. He's showing the elders. He's showing the, the them, the bride, that he is the Lord. He is great. He's mighty. He's their provider. He's the living water. He's the rock. He's everything they need. 
and that he will defend them. He will protect them. You know that there is a fight that takes place with Joshua and Amalek. And as long as Moses can raise his arms up, they're winning. But when Moses gets tired, all of those things, now uh, they begin to lose. So then Aaron and and her come up with a plan in order for them to be able to keep Moses's hands up. But understand Moses is in the forefront, but God is the one that's doing it. And God is demonstrating to his bride, I will protect you. I am Jehovah Nisi. I am your provider. Fear not, for I am with you. This is Again, the bridal price, he's paid the price in bringing them out of Egypt and the things that he went through. Now he's continuing to pay that price like Jesus Christ has done for you and I. Moses tells the story about God to his father-in-law, because again, he is presenting and preparing so that when the wedding takes place, everyone that is concerned, everyone that's involved will already know that he is a suitable suitor, that he is a worthy bridegroom, and that he is able to take care of his bride even if it is 3 million, 6 million, however many it is, amen. And in doing so, Jephro acknowledges that the Lord is great and even comes to the same conclusion that only Moses, the God of the Israelites, is God. And he goes on and he offers burnt off. Uh, uh, burnt sacrifices and offerings too, amen. Setting this up and preparing for the wedding um, that is to come. He is the God of covenant. So God called to Moses now after all these things are happening and he gives the people some instructions. And he says, tell them, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. In other words, the bridal price that I was willing to pay. Now we need to sit down and have some other discussions. How I brought you to myself as though on eagle's wings. Now, if you will obey me and keep your part of my covenant with you, you shall be my own little flock. See, understand this, that marriage is a covenant. I know today we see maybe it as a contract. So if it doesn't work, we get out of it, we change, we get a divorce, but God has never seen it that way. We see that Moses returns from the mountain and calls together the leaders of the people and told them what God had said. Moses has the meeting with the elders. Now they bring in all the people. When they bring in all the people, they respond in unison. We will certainly do everything he asks of us. Moses goes back to report these things to the Lord. Amen. Then the Lord decides to present himself. I want you to know that he is our father. He's our God. He's our Lord. He's our savior. For some, it may be a, a difficult thing or challenging to say, well, how can he be my husband if he is my father, my Lord, my God? 
Well, he can be. Remember the book of Esther. Esther was married to the king. He was also her husband. He was also ruling over her and others. God has more than one. He has more than one title, more than one position, and more than one thing he does in our lives. So on the third day, he is now presenting himself to his bride. We can see there was terrible thunder, there was lightning, all of that, there was smoke, the, the earth was quaking, the mountains were shaking, uh, there were bellows of fire, the trumpet was blasting. Why? Because Jehovah was descending upon them. He was coming to present himself. Amen. And in doing so, he was also telling them the terms of endearment. This is chapter 20. Some of us will say this is the Ten Commandments. Amen. But he gave more than just the Ten Commandments. We, in particular, I want us to look at uh, the, the first Four, he says, I am Jehovah, your God, who liberated you from slavery in Egypt. That's the first thing he's telling them. Then he goes in and he says, you may worship no other God than me. You shall not make yourself any idol, no images of animals, birds, fish. You shall never bow or worship it in any way. For I, the Lord, your God, am very possessive. Other translation says, I'm very jealous. I will not share your affections with any other God. Now, some people say, well, why is God jealous of me? Why? Because again, he is the one and only God. He's jealous for your affections. He's jealous for his bride to know there is none like him. There's none like me. And in most cases, you know, when you really think about it, a no husband wants their wife to have affections for someone else. Amen. God wanted his bride to be true, his bride to be pure, his bride to be his and have only affections and desires for him. And that would obey him, that would be led by him so that he could dwell and live among them. He says, and when I punish people for their sins, the punishment continues upon the children, the grandchildren, and the great grandchildren of those who hate me. But I lavish my love uh, upon thousands, meaning thousands of generations for those who love me and obey my commandments. Again, he says, you shall not make yourself any idols or images of birds, animals, fish. You shouldn't bow down to these things. But again, in our society, we have a whole lot of graven images. Why? Because we have decided that these things are just that. They're statues. They don't really mean anything. In a prior teaching that I gave, this is Athena. And in fact, the Women's Army Corps wore her on their uniform for years and years. And unfortunately, she is the god of war. She's also the god of, uh, of um, fertility. She's the god of this and that. And many, many in the uh, Women's Army Corps uh, ended and bowing to another god. And that is the god of gender confusion, 
and so on and so forth. And my understanding is the Army is look, uh, in their EO program or one of their programs that is going to fall under leadership program is under Athena. These things are not um, nothing. They're something. And God sees it that way because his vantage point and his perspective has not changed even though ours have. Hold on to that thought. I'm going to come back later. Again, here's another picture of um, St. Louis, who is in St. Louis. You know, once, one thing you need to think about is, and perhaps even ponder and ask God to give you eyes to see and go and see in the cities where we have the most violence in the cities where we have the most trouble and in inner cities and problems and things like that. How many of these so-called harmless statues and sculptures and artifacts and all of those things do you see on the building, in museums, in the park, and all of those things? Food for thought. God displays his power, and he displays his power in the various things that are listed there. But again, what was the Lord doing? He was doing this so that they would be able to see and know who he is. And Moses summed it up this way in uh, bullet number three. He said, don't be afraid. Moses told them, for God is coming this way to show you his awesome power so that from now on, you will be afraid to sin against him. He's come to show you that he is, his, he is your husband. He is your protector. He's come to show you that there is a role and in that role, amen, he is fully able to fulfill it. God was coming now after 400 and some years to take his bride because that's what he always wanted. It is why Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, make them as one as we are one. Father, may they be one with us. We are to be one with God. And that is the role of the husband and the wife. And in doing so, he continued to give them some rules of life, giving you an opportunity to read those. As we go through these rules of life, you know, if we live in a society where these things were followed more, what a society it would be. Amen. But because we are not following the rules of life, because we don't understand that we're in a covenant with the Lord through Christ Jesus, that we are now his bride in waiting for him to return. And there are certain responsibilities and behaviors that the bride is to have. Again, we are missing the mark and we have defiled the thing that God holds so sacred. Whether you are married or not married, we are still his bride in waiting, waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus came so that he could reestablish 
established and he could redeem and restore what the father's original desire would be. You know, our misunderstanding of these often causes us why we rebel when we say, well, we're not under the law. Uh, you're trying to put me back under the law. I'm under grace. That doesn't apply to me. Well, you know, think about it. If a husband and even a wife, in their certain ex expectations or that shouldn't, shouldn't there be certain standards, certain rules of life, these things God is giving so that he can dwell, we can live with him, he can live with us, he can live with the humanity. Again, he emphasizes in his rules, taking a look at this, you must not worship the gods of those other nations nor sacrifice to them in any way. You must not follow the evil example of these even people. You must utterly conquer them and break down their shameful idols. Again, as a bridegroom, does he not have a certain expectation that his bride would follow those instructions and not covet herself, not allow herself to be engaged or get engaged with others. Amen. They now, God instructs Moses again to bring Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the elders up so that they can have what? They can have the covenant dinner. They can have the covenant dinner. The, the, the uh, bridal price has been established. He's willing to pay it. He's given them his terms. They have agreed when they were saying, we will do it, we will do it. It's the same as I will do it, I will do it like they do at a wedding ceremony. I do, I do. Even here, then Moses announced to the people all the laws and the regulations God had given him and the people answered in unison, we will obey. It's the same as I do. We will do it. We will do it. Amen. And he read to the people the book he had written, the book of the covenant containing God's directions and laws. And the people said again, we solemnly promise to obey every word of these rules. The bride has accepted the bridegroom's expectation and standards, and now they're ready to go forward. This is, again, with them on the mountain. It is simply a representation of the elders and uh, God joining because they were uh, coming to meet with him in the final agreement. That For me, it reminds me of, again, in Uganda, they have the traditional wedding, and then that leads up to the actual ceremony that they have in the actual church, and which is the formal and the leading one. God has gone through the traditional steps. They've even gone through the traditional marriage. Now he's looking at putting forth a dwelling place. And so, therefore, he tells Moses, because the people have agreed, he wants them to participate. These are the things that they are to bring, but what are they to bring them so that Israel can make a sacred temple where I can live among them. In other words, where I can dwell with my bride and my bride can dwell with me. The Lord designs the dwelling place. We find this in chapter 25. 
That's why he's saying, be sure that everything you make follow the patterns I'm showing you here on the mountain, chapter 26. He did not take the dwelling place that he wanted to dwell with his bride lightly. In fact, God wanted it to be absolute perfection so that his bride would know that her provider would provide, her provider would be faithful, true, never leave. You have nothing to worry about. Just trust and believe. Learn how to rely, depend, and cling to me. Again, the dwelling place, the dwelling place, because he is holy. Then he tells Moses in reference to consecrate uh, Aaron and his Aaron, your brother and his son, so that they can be the priest that will oversee and be there in representing God and representing to make sure that this union, that this relationship stays holy, it stays consecrated, it stays set apart for God. And so in order to do so, they needed holy garments. When we look at this and he tells Moses to take the ram and in particular, when it says collect the blood and place some of it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, his sons upon their right thumbs and the big toes of the right feet. The reason why is because again, blood, remember, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The blood on the right ear was to be a means of um, purifying, a means of sanctifying so that they could hear right. And, you know, the thumb, you have to have the thumb in order to be able to grasp, in order to be able to hold on to something. So the right thumb was so that they could grasp right, they could hold on right to the truth. And then the big toe, do you know that you cannot have balance without your big toe? In fact, the United States Army, if you don't have a big toe, you can't join. So the big toe of the right foot was so that they could stand right, they could be balanced right in the things that they were doing, amen. In creating the dwelling place, he had already, by his Holy Spirit, he had filled Beziel as well as Aholiab with the things that were to be done so that this dwelling place that God had set could be made. The Lord continues to give them further instructions and the instructions were in reference to the Sabbath day. When we think of the Sabbath day, because, you know, again, we're not under the law. We don't have to have a Sabbath day. That's not part. But if we're the bride of the bridegroom and the bridegroom is setting apart the Sabbath day as a day for the bride to just be able to spend time with the groom, to think, to focus, to dwell, you know, to meditate, to read, then it doesn't become a chore. It becomes a thing of, again, what we call, or what is often spoke of, is about it's a date night or date day. Perhaps that's what God was saying. This is the day, the Sabbath day, 
where, again, you don't have to worry about cooking and cleaning. You can just remember that I am Jehovah and I made this day holy. It's a day of rest. It's a day of meditation. It's a day to focus on me. And then we have the other side. And while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, you know, finishing everything. Again, Moses would be the direct conduit between God and the bride. And, and he would stand in front and on the land in the place of God with the bride, amen, uh, to make sure that all of God's rules and all of God's desires and what God was saying would come to pass. And he was gone for 40 days. And while he was there, because he didn't come back right away, then the other side of the story happens. Because as I told you, warfare, spiritual warfare is real. And spiritual warfare is always Lucifer, Satan, the devil, waiting for an opportunity to come in. And it says, when Moses didn't come back from the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Look, they said, make us a God to lead us. For this fellow Moses who brought us here from Egypt has disappeared. Something must have happened to them. I want you to put this in perspective for just a moment. Amen. Moses was gone 40 days. So the people were to wait for God, the bride was to wait for 40 days. They became impatient. They didn't want to wait. So they started and came up with their own idea and their own thing. God had waited over 400 years for this moment and they couldn't wait 40 days. You know, the next thing that happens is suddenly the calf is made. What is the calf made of? It's from an image of something they had known before because when we get impatient and we don't want to wait on God, then we convert back to what we know, what we've seen, and what we think. Long story short, if you follow the circle, it says, so they got up early the next morning, they begin burning offerings to the calf, to the idol. Afterwards, they sat down to feast and drink at a wild party followed by sexual immorality. Idols, that's exactly what they lead you to. They are not godly. It is not of God. That's why he said to his bride, and do not do this. Amen. Idolatry equates to holotry. They're on the mountain. God has done the two tablets. He's given them to Moses. And then the Lord says to Moses, go quickly down for your people that you bought from Egypt have defiled themselves and they have quickly abandoned my laws. They have molded themselves a calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that bought you out of Egypt. And he said, I've seen their stubbornness and his anger was set ablaze. Why was he angry? Because this now is what they were calling their God. How and what is God's perspective on this? Remember the book of Hosea, when God said to him, go love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This illustrates that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them, Hosea 3. 
But here's the next thing that happens. We begin to see true intercession. Moses takes the opportunity to intercede. True intercession begins with knowing God. When you look at the things that Moses said, none of them was justifying the people's behavior, but they were reminding God of who yeah. he was and what God had said. Moses comes down and when he comes, he sees that calf, he sees them dancing, he sees all the things that's going on. And he asks Aaron, what did the people do to make you do this? See, here's the thing I want you to understand is they weren't attempting to replace God, but what they were doing was they wanted a God that they could see. They wanted one that would be knowable. And as a result of that, they created this image and made God less than who he was because of their need. Jesus said it this way. He said, blessed are they who believe and don't see. They were trying to see. I really believe that they, do not, they did not believe that they had done anything wrong. They believed that they were taking that same God who did all that stuff and brought them out of Egypt, but making him in a form that was pliable. We must be concerned because that's what's going on today. Jesus has been reduced to someone that's pliable, someone that we can see that is knowable, that doesn't line up with the word of God and what the scripture says. In fact, when they worship idols, Corinthians says it this way. It says, what he's saying is, is that those who offer food to these idols who united together in the sacrificing of demons, certainly not to God. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord at the Lord's table and at Satan's table too. You cannot eat bread both at the Lord's table and at Satan's table. Saints, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Romans 1 and 23. And then instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they took wood and stone and made idols for themselves, carving them to look like mere birds and animals and snakes and puny men. For they preferred a statue of an ox that eats grass to the glorious presence of God himself. Thus they despised their savior who had done such mighty miracles in Egypt and at the Red Sea. Then again, Jesus said, Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway, John 20, two and nine. We must believe God because we believe the word of God, amen, and not because of what we see or don't see, and to try to create him into something that he's not. The great news is this, we have an advocate too. So if we find ourselves confused, if we find ourselves that we too desire to have a God that we can see or we have reduced Jesus to knowable. We've taken him who is holy and made him common and just like us. We have an advocate. We need to repent. 
and confess our sins. If you look in the scripture, that's the one thing they did not do is they did not repent. And as a result of that, over 3,000 lives were lost. But Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Again, believers in Jesus, we are the bride of Christ and we wait with great anticipation for the day when we will be united with our bridegroom. Until then, we remain faithful to him and say with all the redeemed of the Lord, come Lord Jesus. He gives us some instructions current even today in reference to wives submitting to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. And why? It is the example of Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church. Amen. Modern day graven images. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When and he comes, he will battle with the gods of this world once again. This is a recent um, statue that they just put up in New York City. It represents uh, the deceased Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think that's her name. That was on the Supreme Court justice. This is supposed to represent justice and unity. You know, they erected it after uh, Roe versus Wade was defeated because she was the Supreme Court justice for the abortion rights movement. This happened at the Grammy. This individual and his group depicted a satanic ritual. How many people watched the Grammys and how many were there? There is a satanic temple that has been erected. This is one of the idols that have been made. And if you look, these are children, in case you didn't get a good view. Children, spiritual warfare is real, modern day, not just statues, See, the day of the Lord is coming. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judged. As you continue to read that, understand that Jesus is coming and he's going to deal and battle with all of these idols and these things that people have found themselves ensnared in and he will demonstrate again that he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the one and only bridegroom. Amen. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke 8, 18 and 8. Jesus pondered and he, he posed this question for us to ponder. Why would he ask that? Perhaps it is because he also knows that the kingdom of God is at war and there is a kingdom of darkness that's battling against the kingdom of light. And how many will believe that they have faith in the kingdom of light, but they're operated in darkness because he has been reduced to a God, an idol that is not the God of the Bible and it is not the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. 
Jesus gave us this. He said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Matthew 24, 46. God desires obedience. In fact, in Samuel, he says that obedience is better than sacrifice. When he comes, he will be looking for his bride. That is his bride in obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14 and 15. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We are the waiting bride. Amen. And in our waiting, in our waiting, God is expecting his bride that he chose for his son, who is the bridegroom, to conduct and live in a certain way. This is a foreshadowing of what is to come. Let us not see it as, again, what we learned in Sunday school, in children's church, God is trying to take us deep unto deep and to know that all of the scripture is foreshadowing what is to come. And it is also bringing us back to what was the very beginning in Genesis. Questions I have for you on tonight. Do you think they, there should be a they, were all actively worshiping idols when Moses returned? Are there any consequences for going along to get along? And if so, what might they be, especially for us as Christians? And what do you think the expression silence is agreement means? And do you have, do you see yourself as the bride of Christ in waiting? If so, or if you don't, what does that look like? I think what you said is very important about graven images. That's actually something the Lord has personally convicted me on. The Holy Spirit had me really be thoughtful at a particular stage. And, you know, I think this also, though, is important to point out that everybody's in different places. Some people are on milk. Some people are on meat. Mm -hmm. It may not be that the Holy Spirit says it to you immediately, um, or you shouldn't necessarily feel bad that you haven't heard it from the Lord yet. But I believe there is a process when God gets us to the place where we can understand what he means by these things that he does, you know, he does reveal to us what he meant. And so that was where I was and what I'm explaining with this personal time that I felt that the Lord was saying, I was really wrestling with what does that mean? Do we actually think about what does it mean when he says, don't have any graven images? You know, because I, I personally, I had a, um, and some people may, may not agree with this, but it was for me, my own conviction. And so I, I did it because the Bible says, if you believe, you know, something to do and you don't do it, then it's sin. And mm -hmm. so, um, I have a, I had a friend who paints Jesus, the face of God, and I had several of the paintings and, um, I, I ultimately just felt like I should not keep those because really what, I mean, when I was thinking of what happened here in this instance, what you just said was the same thing. It was like, I just wanted to see his face. I just, but that's not what he looks like. Amen. It would it's be not. reducing him to 
my own imagination or the imagination of an artist. It's the Lord was blazing with anger over that. He says, do not have any graven images. He says, nothing in the heaven above, nothing in the earth below. Don't do this. Don't make for yourself something that you're going to idolize. And truly, you know, just like what you said, they weren't trying to replace God. They just wanted something they could look at and call God. Mm-hmm. Well, is that not what I was doing with my painting? Was I looking at it and I was actually worshiping it? I was truly in my heart worshiping God, but it just can't hit me as I was reading the words, don't have a graven image. So I don't know. I just wanted to share that personal testimony. Um, I think that there's, you know, and I also wanted to put a reminder in as we're speaking about these things that are the law, you know, in none of this, just for clarity's sake, um, you know, you're, this is a historical count of how God dealt with Israel. And I do want to make sure everybody understands that, you know, because we're not saying that we have to keep all of these 613 laws in the Old Testament. We do understand um, that they are the what the instructions that the Lord gave because he is good and he is trying to get people to understand how to live rightly. But then he he realized that they didn't have a right heart. So they weren't able to do it, which is why Jesus had to come, you know, in the first place to help us with this. So we could have a Holy Spirit to enable us to keep these things. But what we do see that's important in it is we see that God is the same today, tomorrow and forever. These were his instructions. So although we don't have to keep these things and we certainly don't live by this because we're not trying to earn our own righteousness these days, but we can see a lot of insight into you know, justice into the right way to live into really the the whole clarification on purity and holiness. We just see a lot in it. And I think that's the benefit for us as we're going through it. Amen. And Krista, what I would tell you is that, you know, again, he's all knowing. He already knew they couldn't keep them. That wasn't why he gave them. What he knew was that they were a unholy people who had been surrounded by people who were doing any kind of stuff and everything. He was trying to demonstrate to them what this holiness would look like to bring them to the end of that so that they could know his their need for him. It is the same thing that he's doing for you and I. I wanted to say too, as a personal testimony about the, uh, the palace Athene, um, I was one of those who wore that and wore it proudly on my uniform because that's what I was instructed to do. That's what I was, it was, it was burned into us that she was our goddess. You know, she was the one that, you know, we were to, that represented the women's army corps. And um, it wasn't until Pastor Sylvia's teaching <clears throat> when we were out in Kansas City, because uh, I still was very proud. I was very proud to tell everybody I wore the Palestinian. I didn't even want to take it off my uniform when they told me I had to because they had deactivated the core. So I was I was very much a, a, a proud of her. But when I heard the teaching, immediate conviction came and I had to go and, and into my phone and everywhere and just start throwing away anything that had the Palestinian on it. So I agree with you, Krista. It's not you know, we're all in different places, but once we hear the word, once we hear that it, what it is, then I think God does require us to get rid of it. So I just wanted to share that. No, and Deb, I just want to speak into that. I agree wholeheartedly that we're all in different places. And, but how do we get from that place by hearing the truth? 
That's why Jesus said the truth of his word. And when we get the truth or we hear something, don't just disregard it and throw it away. We now have a responsibility to pray into it and say, God, what do you mean? What is it that you want me to see? Please give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Oftentimes I'm, 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 I'm reminded that God is a relational God and he takes the initiative, amen, to show us who he is. And then his hope is that we would respond by loving him through obedience, you know? And so that is what I have seen God when he established himself as a husband, established himself as a father, he fulfilled all the requirements of those titles. And then he, that's why he often said, I am the Lord, your God, then do this, meaning he had established who he was to you. The hope of our God was that you would know who he is and respond by obedience. And, you know, that's something that has been a, a great encouragement for me. Um, for me, it has showed me that God is able and I am not to worry. All I am to do is trust and believe him. He will fulfill his part. All he needs me to do is obey. And mm -hmm. when I obey, when I obey because I have perceived his love for me, then I know that I am in safety, that God is able to take me from anywhere that I am and mold me to the person that he wants me to be. Should I, again, respond in obedience to his word? So God is a relational God. He will take the initiative to show you who he is. Now, it will be the burden will be upon you to respond when you have experienced his great love for you and I. Amen. Jesus told me um, the way that you treat your husband is how you feel about me. Mm -hmm. And I shared that with my husband. And that is one thing that Andy and I pray together that we walk in humility in Christ and with one another. And um, I just think that's so important. Um, but praise be to God. And I thank you for your teaching. And I'm so grateful for the process of sanctification and this beautiful relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do on our own. So, and I want everyone to know that I pray for all of you by name in my prayer closet. Jesus knows. Amen. 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 And thank you for sharing that because you're absolutely right. Again, it's not anything we could do on our own. And it is so important that husband and wives, you pray for one another. In fact, you should be praying together. Amen. Uh, because God has chosen you to fill that role as representing him, just like Adam and Eve did. Amen. And it's a very serious thing. And, you know, many are misconstrued because of what they see or how careless or callous we are in reference to that. But the truth is, you know, God's stance and his viewpoint has not changed. Now he's been waiting over 6,000 years for his bride. How do we grow? We grow in the truth. Amen. And if we don't speak and talk about these things, then those demonic forces that are out there that the Bible told us about, they're going to mm. continue to have victory. Why? Because my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Amen. Mm. Lack mm. of knowledge. It is mm. our desire, each of us, it should be that we receive the meat of the word and no longer just the milk. Amen. What does it mean that that statement, silence is agreement? That was the question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
that's the one that that's the one I was thinking of when I saw it. I said, oh, I want to respond to that because I know from the very get go, that's one thing you always taught me was that silence is agreement because because of the lifestyle that I came out of, there were many times that I became very quiet and I didn't want to say anything. And so it led other people to believe that I agreed with the way they were living or what they were doing. And I think that it that has become a, a really a, a big thing for me is to speak out and see when I see somebody doing something that is not of the word of God, that if I keep quiet, I read a scripture in the word that says their blood is on my hands. And that has really impacted me. So um, I thank you, Pastor, for teaching me that early on. And I don't always practice it, but I'm really trying to get better at it in speaking out and letting people know when I see that there is something that I know is against the word of God. Terrence, you had something you wanted to add on that? Oh, well, well, I, I mean, it falls right in line with what my dear sister said, you know, it's, it's, it just, she just said it all. It's, it's important for us to speak out. The Bible says we are not, I love the scripture from Galatians 5, 11. I mean, it has really, it has really opened my eyes and to know that God expects us to expose uh, the, the unfruitful works of darkness and not to fellowship with it. So, um, um, you know, uh, if we don't live up to that expectation, we are being complacent. We are, we are agreeing with the evil, you know, to expose them and speak them out, you know, and, and not do so uh, ashamingly, uh, just, just not to be ashamed while doing so, just speak out what the devil is doing. If you see it and the spirit of the sermon is in you, don't be quiet, don't be quiet, because if you're quiet, you know, you, you agree with what they're doing expose the the, 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 the the unfruitful works of darkness and so that people can see and know um, and then that blood might be off your hands. So that scripture has always been, uh, ever since I read it, um, it, it has been, it's really been on my mind. We have to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness, amen, and not be complacent and be silent. But you know what, Terrence, that's actually the lie that is pervasive in our culture today. Mm -hmm. It's even the lie that's coming from many who profess to be believers. There was a huge campaign, even during the Super Bowl, which I did not watch, but I'm familiar with the campaign. Um, and it was called He Gets Us. And even that name itself, it's kind of like, um, mm -hmm. basically what they're doing is taking a position against the way that those who profess to know Jesus have presented themselves to the world. And so mm -hmm. it's trying to take that message and make it more of one of acceptance and tolerance mm -hmm. and love and all of this. And so what you're saying with expose the darkness, that has been um, the, that's the agenda of the, of the enemy is to silence the Christians by using our own words, by using grace and love, you know, saying, oh, that's not loving. You know, you, if you were really a Christian and you acted like Jesus, but you know, the reality is we know Jesus made a whip and he turned over the tables and he told the Pharisees that you're just as much, you're going to make these people just as much of sons of hell as you. He had very harsh words that he spoke sometimes and he did expose the darkness, just like what you said, but we actually have to have courage. We yeah. first have to be sure that when we are exposing the darkness, that we're being led by the Holy right. Spirit spirit in what we are saying and that we are operating from a place of truth and love, yeah. you know, because we can lovingly share it without being passive. We can still be, you know, gentle as a dove, but shrewd as a serpent, like the Lord told us, you know, you can come with authority and you can come with 
you know, strong words that are the scripture. And I think really where it requires it sometimes the most is with those who profess to believe in this culture and in this day, because there's many that believe that they're on the straight and narrow and are really, I personally think, according to the word, in danger of hell, you know, not realizing that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that said, and few there be that find it. You know, because Jesus said, just as Pastor Sylvia said, if you love me, in fact, it even said it another way in another scripture, it says, this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. That is actually love. So we get mixed up with what the Bible refers to as the attributes of love. The Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, you know, all of those things that we know love is. This has really been a source of misunderstanding in the Christian community, because can an unbeliever be patient? Can an unbeliever be kind? Yeah, they can. Can an unbeliever be a loving person? Sure. An unbeliever can exhibit all of the attributes of love. But the Bible says this is the love of God, though, that you keep his commandments. So, yes, Mm -hmm. we should have the attributes of love, but that's not what love is. Amen. That's not what the, that's not what the definition is giving us. It's giving us the characteristics of love and unbelievers can do those things. But if we're truly followers, we're going to be keeping his commandments. And he says his commandments are not burdensome. And the whole reason they're not burdensome is because we're, we are we are obeying them out of our own intimacy mm-hmm. with him. Amen. And then then it's all in love. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Those are the things that we should not remain quiet on. You know, and the thing is this, when we talk about that, I'm going to ask everyone this question, you know, if you came to my house to visit and there was a dog that had rabies on my front porch, I mean, foaming at the mouth, all that stuff. I looked out there and I saw it. Amen. And you say, well, you know, Pastor Sylvia, I got to go now. And I said, oh, okay. I don't say anything. That's not love. Is that loving? Dog out there, I know it's out there, has rabies, bites you. If you don't die, you're going to go through some terrible, terrible things, but you probably are going to die. It won't be too good and all of that. But I say nothing. So what I surmise to us as Christians, it is not loving to not tell the truth. It isn't. If you know that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, And we say nothing because I don't want them to be offended. I don't want them to get upset. Then you just let them go out of your house knowing there was a mangy rabies dog that surely is going to eat them up. Amen. None of us would want that. And if the dog is too much, then make it a snake. A venomous snake is on your front porch. You're just not going to say anything. We must speak the truth in love. And that in love is not, so we are weak and, oh, no. Real love is tell the truth. God loves us and he tells the truth of what's going to happen according to his word. Amen. Part of the truth is he says you're going to be persecuted (laughs) for telling the truth. Amen. He does. So we have to understand that. I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, 
one of the things that struck me and um, just is how important it is to go through the um, the first books of the Bible, because mm-hmm. so many of us as as Christians, m- me personally, um, I, I really didn't understand what is in the New Testament, and until you start reading the foundation, and and I think that's part of our problem is it, generally as as people who say that we're believers because we've pretty much thrown out the what is it the baby with the bathwater. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and and so we have normalized Christ in such a way um, that that slogan, he gets us, people walk around, will, will walk around and say that and not know the holiness of who he is. Yeah, it's just, just a lot of things to think about and a lot of things to pray about and to be sensitive to the leading of, of the Holy Spirit when we are talking to people because we 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 want to be able to like you said, speak the truth in love, but there's also timing. Timing is always important too. I have to admit that when I saw that video in Superbook and they just mentioned the name of Jesus Christ on such a, a big day where millions upon millions of people were watching, I have to admit, initially I was surprised because I thought that in my mind, well, that's a seat at least for so for so long, They've been trying to silent or erase the name of Jesus everywhere. And this is it in a big day like this. The name of Jesus is coming up on TV. I mean, I've watched many instances where, uh, you know, uh, players put John 3.16 and the news will blur it. They don't want people to say it. And, and my response was, oh, hopefully this is a seed that will, God could use it to push them to his word, go read the word, go find out about me. I know it's been said about this on TV, but maybe when you watch this, you'll be able to say, ah, I need to get back to my Bible because my hope is that people read the Bible. I read a a shocking statistic that over 60% of Christians have not read the entire Bible. So not too, too many people speak of the Lord and yet they don't know the full counsel of God. So that's a dangerous thing. So me, my personal prayer is that People will come to know the Lord by reading the full word of God, to know the full counsel of God, to have a better relationship with him. That's just something I wanted to add. And uh, when Pastor Christer uh, did say, uh, kind of like shed some more light as to what was being said, the context of what was said, I was like, oh. <laughs> so so um, it, it is good to be careful. Um, to, to The devil is a master of mixing a whole lot of truth with a little bit of lie. And so you, we have to be really spiritual to point out that little lie that the devil is mixing in, in a whole lot of truth uh, so that we are not derailed ourselves. Amen. And if I just might add, just for clarity's sake, because this particular campaign just started on Super Bowl, but it's supposed to be an ongoing thing with billboards and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a, somebody who wrote an article that I was reading today. I'm just going to read the seven points that they make without all of the details. But she says, uh, or maybe it's a he, I don't know, but it says, number one, the fact that Jesus gets us stripped from the context of his identity is meaningless. Number two, Jesus in this campaign is presented as an example, not a savior. Number three, the campaign reinforces the problematic idea that Jesus's followers have Jesus all wrong. Number four, the campaign reinforces what culture wants to believe about Jesus while leaving out what culture doesn't want to believe. 
Number five, the campaign characterizes the so-called culture war in terms of secular social justice rather than underlying worldview differences. Number six, the campaign's stated goal is about inspiration, not a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, Number seven, the next steps offered by he gets us could lead someone far away from the truth rather than toward it. So the reality is, is what we've talked about before. It sounds like what's being presented is another Jesus. Um, amen. amen. Just what they did at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And that's the thing that we have to be careful of. Amen. Just because they say the name does not mean they're talking about Jesus that's in the Bible. Amen. Amen. If you talk to a Muslim, they have no problem with Jesus. They say he's a great prophet. They will. If you talk to, you know, uh, others in other faiths, they have no problem. The Mormons, they will tell you. But they say Jesus is Satan's brother. Amen. So mm. it's not enough to get excited. If, you, if mainstream is saying Jesus, you must know it's because they're selling a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. And here's the other thing that we must be cautious of, because I hear us say that all the time. Well, you know, if this big, you know, the foot, the Super Bowl, or this uh, person that has this platform, if they would just promote Jesus, God ain't never needed anybody to promote him so we can stop that. Amen. How about Amen. we start one person at a time? He had 12, sent them out, and they did not go and, uh, Pilate, Herod, and the rest of them never came to the consensus that Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us a few individuals turned the world upside down. How about we focus on the few and turn it upside down for our great king? My point with question number one is this, coming back, See, I don't believe that everyone that at the bottom of Mount Sinai was in agreement with what was going on. I don't. I think there were some forerunners and they got caught up in the way. They got caught up in the riot. They got caught up in whatever. And they didn't say anything. Amen. And they were just there. But when God dealt with them, he dealt with them, though they didn't say anything. Silence mm. is not a good thing. We are being pressed down and pressed out and told not to speak. That's not friendly. It's not nice. It's not kind. You know, you don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want them to not come to our churches, all of those things. Well, guess what? God ain't never told us to become fake, phony, and compromise so he could win a few. He is still God. And any of that stuff that's operating, then we are no longer under the Holy Spirit. There's another spirit operating. I want to say this clearly. Can we make mistakes? Yes. But if there is continual compromise, we are not speaking up. We're more worried about what people are going to think and say. And if everyone is jumping because they make statements, I hear people say they are Christians. Oprah Winfrey made the statement. She's a Christian. Yeah. But the Jesus she served is not concerned with the color of your skin, whether it's black, white, or if you're homosexual or not. Mm. So mm. she's a big platform, but she's bringing them to the Jesus she believes in, which is new age, 
and not the God of the Bible. Saints, mm. we got to wake up and we got to come back to the God of the Bible and stand with the God of the Bible. Because if we get caught up when the God of the Bible returns, and you may say, well, I really didn't believe that stuff. I was just standing there. He does know your heart and you were standing there and he's going to see that as in agreement. Speak up, speak out, and let's stand for the God of the Bible. And know that again, there is the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, a battle is going on. There is no middle ground. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And Amen. I give this example. I give this example. So there was a, a pastor friend I know that was in Uganda. He was on the bus. This lady was well, well dressed. I mean, she was in the top enchilada. The Holy Spirit said, tell her about Jesus now. He said, mm -mm, I'm not in her class. I can't do it. We're on this bus. She's not going to say, tell her about Jesus now. He wrestled with God finally. He said something to the lady. She did snur up her nose up and say, I don't want to talk to the likes of you. God said, keep talking. And he went at it. She said something else. God said, continue. And he shared it. And she said, hmm. She got off the bus, got ran over by a car, died right then. See, we can say we got to wait till the right moment. But what is that? And the Lord told him, had you not said what you said, her blood would have been on your hands. See, I'm not asking you for the outcome. I'm asking you for the obedience to do what I tell you to do. Amen. Amen. I just know that God is, he is teaching me so much through this study. And I, I'm just so humbled and grateful um, to be a part of this. And um, I was involved with a, a jail ministry. I asked uh, Phyllis if I could take some time off to, to really dive into the word of God so that I would be better equipped to serve in the jail ministry. Mm. And I, I the Lord has just set my soul on fire, and um, and I I feel like that He's just given me all the tools. He's given me everything that I need in order to be equipped fully to share the gospel with these ladies, and not to tickle their ears with things they want to hear, or to go in with only a grace story. But I need to know how to deliver the full story, and I just wanted tell you all thank you for um just putting this putting your time into this and uh, and really preparing and teaching us the way that you are sylvia i will have to listen to this message over and over because there's a lot to unpack here <laughs> that i'm trying to take in and i just appreciate everything that you you have put into this Amen. thank you so much for sharing that and we're excited that you're here we're excited that we're all on this journey together in seeking truth. Amen. It is why, you know, literally God gave it to Krista, the tour of truth. And that's what we're on. Because like no other time in history, I know people probably before us, like no other, it is paramount that we receive the truth because deception is alive and well, and it's yeah. going to increase. That's why Jesus Ford warned us in Matthew 24, lawlessness will increase, that many will fall away and their love grow cold. And let's remember, he's talking to believers, amen, when he mm -hmm. has and he said these things, 
We get the benefit of reading it and it brings us in. But when he was initially, he's talking to those who were of some type of faith and belief. Let's stand firm. Amen. Anyone else? I just want to say thank you again, because, uh, um, I, you know, the Lord just reminded me why it's important to come to this Bible study, because here I was uh, having a different perspective of what I heard until uh, Pastor Christa, uh, Sister Christa would give, would give us by the Spirit a good clarification of, you know, why we are to be very careful what we hear and how we process that information, just because the name of Jesus is mentioned does not mean that they are preaching the Jesus of the Bible, as you mentioned, Pastor Sylvia. So, yes, these Bible studies are extremely important. We come here to be led by the Holy Spirit and get clarity and understanding as to how to discern some of the, 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 the things that are happening in this world and how the enemy can really deceive us. So uh, I'm just grateful for that. There's a verse in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 8.20, and it says to the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Mm. Amen. Amen. Last call, and then I'm gonna ask, first uh, she'll close us out in prayer. Okay, well, thank you um, everyone again for staying on. This is wonderful. We've gone over time and it seems the Holy Spirit has everyone's hearts fully engaged. So Father, we just want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for what you're doing in our midst, Lord, how you are truly revealing to us yourself through your word, Lord. You are unfolding scriptures for us. You um, have told us, how will they know unless someone goes, unless someone is sent to teach them? And so, Father, we thank you for Pastor Sylvia tonight in sharing your word. And just as others have shared their gratefulness for her preparation, I pray, Father, a blessing upon her. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the ears of every person who's been on this call tonight to cause us to hear well. You said that if we don't listen well, then even what little bit we have will be taken mm -hmm. from us. Lord, we desire to listen and heed your words. And so, Father, I pray that you bring clarity and understanding and wisdom from above, Father, so that we will not have any confusion over the word that's been spoken, but you would lead us by your precious Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray, Father, for continued interactions as we meditate upon your word, Lord, that even the questions that we might have, Father, I pray that every person would take them to you personally and just ask you. You say, ask, and you'll give wisdom liberally without finding any fault in us, Lord. You said, if you lack wisdom, just ask me. You desire to give us understanding, and we are so grateful for that, Lord. So I pray that you would continue to teach us um, bring correction where correction is necessary, Father, but lead us in all truth, Father. We thank you for the revelation um, that you're providing to us, Lord, by the truth of your word, Lord. We do recognize it as our very life, and we're clinging to it. We trust in you wholeheartedly, Father, and we will not listen to the voice of another. It is only your voice that we desire to hear, Father. So I pray, Father, that you would silence the noise of our culture. Silence the noise, Lord, of the enemy and the culture and all of the things, Father, that are vying for our attention and help us all individually to be motivated by the power of your spirit within us, Father, to continue to make time to be with you first and foremost above every other responsibility and thing that we have to do in each of our days. I pray, Father, that you would be 
the desire of our heart, Lord, to just sit at your feet, to just sit in your word and allow you, Father, to fill us up, to cause us to be content in all circumstances and all seasons, and to cause us to know truly who you are, what you mean by what you said, and what you're doing, Father. And I pray that as we do that, that you'd cause our hearts to rejoice, Lord, because we know that in in your presence is fullness of joy. And I thank you, Father, that you are sending us out tonight in peace, love, and joy. So Lord, we just bless your holy name until we meet again. We'll say shalom, shalom to all the saints in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone. Good night. We'll see you next Monday. Praise Lord. And hopefully, if you're able, we'll see you Wednesday for prayer. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Yay. Amen. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.